a Resident Review, a plastic surgery podcast. This is a platform designed for education of plastics, hand, and craniofacial surgery trainees from medical student to master surgeon. Our episodes take you through high yield topics along with experts in the field in order to maximize your knowledge and refine your techniques. If you like what you hear today, be sure to visit our website, theresidentreview.com for episodes, outlines, resources, and more. Stay tuned after the episode for a brief message from our sponsors. Hi, and welcome back to The Resident Review. This is Rachel Hine and Lily Mundy, what, why? Back for the quick hit series of our 2021 in-service test. Let's do it. Today we'll be going over craniofacial, both of our favorites. Lils, do you wanna get us started? Yeah, I would love to. All right, quick hits from the craniofacial section. Starting off an intraoperative CT scan and facial trauma. So the use of intraoperative CT scans has optimized plate positioning and maxillofacial trauma, specifically orbital floor fractures. This helps with decreased anophthalmos, accuracy of plate positioning, and decreased reoperation rates. Orbital floor fractures risk to change the volume of the orbit, which can affect global positioning, or which includes anophthalmos. And indications for surgery include vertical globe dystopia, anophthalmos, and globe entrapment. Pfeiffer syndrome presents with cloverleaf skull deformity, mid-face retrusion, severe exorbitism, respiratory compromise, and broad thumbs. Neonatal intervention includes addressing these in the form of tracheostomy for adequate ventilation, decompressive craniectomy to prevent the sequelae of intracranial hypertension, and temporary tarsorophies to prevent keratopathy. Informed consent. So this can present itself when the minor and guardians disagree on surgical intervention. One should openly discuss the disparity between the parent and patient's goals to better understand the respective motivations of each parties. The angle classifications. Angle class one is the mesiobuccal cusp is in line with the buccal groove of the mandibular first molar. Angle class two, maxillary mesiobuccal cusp is anterior to the mandibular buccal groove. This has two different divisions. Division one is minimal crowding of the maxillary teeth and proclination of the upper central incisors and does it Division two, the central incisors are retroclined. And then lastly, in angle class three, the maxillary mesiobuccal cusp lies posterior to the mandibular buccal groove. An overbite is vertical overlap between the incisal surfaces of the central maxillary and mandibular incisors, and overjet is a horizontal discrepancy in the position of the maxillary and mandibular central incisors. The levator vili palatini originates on the medial aspect of the eustachian tube from the petrous temporal bone and runs transversely in the middle 50% of the velum, joining the paired contralateral muscle. Its purpose is to elevate the palate. In cleft palate, the muscles are oriented more sagittally and insert into the posterior edge of the hard palate and the tenso-aponeurosis laterally. Recent meta-analyses have demonstrated that the lowest complication rates when treating isolated mandibular angle fractures, which are non-comminuted, with ORF via one mini plate. Any comminuted fractures or atrophic fractures should be reconstructed with a reconstruction plate. In regards to the timing of alveolar bone grafting, if the lateral incisor is missing, this should be performed when the canine root is one half to two thirds developed, which allows the canine to erupt through the graft. This essentially confirms that alveolar bone grafting should be performed in mixed dentition before the eruption of the permanent canine, which typically happens between years eight and 12. All right, Rachel, shall I turn it over to you for every plastic surgeon, surgery resident's favorite topic? I love branchial arches. Let's get Anna Carlson up here. (laughs) All right. So there's different branchial arches. We're tested on these every year, and I think I missed it again, but it is on our quick hit. So branchial arch one, 
It has an artery, nerve, and muscles associated with it. Maxillary artery, trigeminal nerve, muscles of mastication, anterior belly of the digastric, tensor tympani, tensor veli palatini, myelohyoid, mandible, incus and malleus, maxilla, vomer, zygoma, and temporal bone. Remember that the tragus, root of the helix, and the superior helix are derived from the three anterior hillocks of the first pharyngeal arch. And the first pouch is the external auditory canal and middle ear space. Brinkial arch two is the stapedial and hyoid arteries, the facial nerve, the muscles of facial expression, the stapes, the stylohyoid process, the lesser horn of the hyoid, the, and the crypts of the palatine tonsils. Interesting. The antihelix, antitragus, and lobule of the ear are derived from the posterior hillocks of the second pharyngeal arch, and the second pouch is the tonsillar fossa. Third, common carotid, internal carotid, glossopharyngeal nerve, stylopharyngeus, greater horn of the hyoid, thymus, and inferior parathyroid glands. Remember, inferior parathyroid is three and superior parathyroid is four. The third pouch is the inferior thyroid gland and thymus. Four, right proximal subclavian artery, aortic arch, vagus nerve, superior laryngeal nerve, intrinsic muscles of the, of the levator, veli palatini, cricothyroid muscles, laryngeal cartilage, superior thyroid glands. And the fourth pouch is associated with the superior thyroid gland and, and thyroid gland. All right. Buckle fat pad flaps. These are good for mucosal defects and palatal closure. So it's good for nasal lining. If the furlough Z-plasty does not close, which was the question in our test this year, the vomer flaps, which was the answer I chose are useful for nasal lining for closure of the hard palate, but are not useful for nasal lining of the soft palate. So not the right answer. When you have a nasal lining defect in a cleft palate, think buckle fat pad flap for hard palate, think vomer flap. Remember that a midline lesion in infant should be worked up with MRI to rule out intracranial extension. So this could be a dermoid cyst, hemangioma, or encephalocele. Infantile hemangioma, this will stain for GLUT1. We know this, GLUT1. And then peri-Romberg, this is progressive hemifacial atrophy associated with ocular and neurologic symptoms. This requires workup with an ophthalmologist to determine if the patient has ocular involvement, which was the question, what do you do next, ophthalmologist? In patients that require free flap reconstruction, hematoma was the most common complication. And then finally, before I pass it back on over, we'll do pediatric mandibular fractures. So this question tripped me up a little bit, but remember that a longer appearing tooth is an example of a retrusive luxation versus intrusive luxation where the tooth is impacted. Arch bars can be used in pediatric dentition and circumandibular wiring may also be used in pediatric mandibular fractures. Plating can be used in mixed dentition as long as it's in the areas of erupted teeth. So AO indications for tooth removal in the mandible fracture, which was the question on this test. Fractured tooth roots, not a hairline fracture in line with the tooth root, of actual fractured tooth root. A tooth that has been luxated from its socket, so it was a retrusive luxation, that was the answer. A tooth that is interfering with reduction of the fracture. Advanced dental caries that would carry risk for infection abscesses, advanced periodontal disease, and teeth with pre-existing abnormalities. Awesome. Next, Botox for master hypertrophy. This is a common question on our exams. The effects can last for years. It can also have a temporary decrease of mastication force with a significant reduction in master volume. This is an off-label use for Botox. Of note, FDA uses for Botox currently include bladder dysfunction, migraine, glabellar lines, primary axillary hyperhidrosis, blepharospasm, strabismus, cervical dystonia, and upper limb spasticity. All right, on to the clefts. So personally, I just like to remember a couple of these and then work around from the ones that I can remember. 
but remember these go from zero to 14. Okay, so remember that these clefts are paired on the upper and lower portion of the face. So zero and 14 are paired. With one and 13, the eyelid, eyebrow, and cantal structures are intact. The medial brow may be displaced inferiorly, and this may show as a frontal encephalocele. Two and 12 are paired. Three and 11 are paired. This originates in the medial orbit and involves the upper lid as a coloboma or a blepharon. This can also extend into the eyebrow and up to the frontal hairline. Zero, and seven, zero through seven occur on the lower half of the face. Nine through 14 occur in the upper hemisphere. The paramedian clefts, cleft zero. This can have a deficient or excess like a bifid nose or a frenulum hypertelorism. And a deficiency can include absent premaxilla with secondary palate cleft and absence of nasal bones, such as which would be represented in hypotelorism. 14 is a continuation of zero. Um, contact between the dura and ectoderm can happen here through the forum cecum. Cleft one is the cleft lip and cleft palate. Cleft two results in hypoplastic ala. This is relatively rare. The oronasal clefts are clefts three, four, and five. Cleft three is common or more common. The alar base is superiorly displaced and the nose is foreshortened. The lacrimal system is blocked. There isn't um, an association with colobomas and globe malpositioning. There can be direct communication of oral, nasal, and orbital cavities, a displaced medial canthus, and the inferior medial orbit is absent. This can be transversed through the lateral incisor and canine and extend into the floor of the nose through the nasolacrimal system and orbital floor, i.e. it involves the medial canthus, which has been a test question for us before. Frontonasal and maxillary failed merging can result in these Tessier class two, three, and four. Failed maxillary and medial nasal process can result in a standard cleft lip. Proboscis lateralis. Nose out of forehead. Proboscis lateralis, this resulted from a failure of fusion of the lateral and maxillary nasal processes. Cleft four, this involves the lip in orbit, the nase is not involved. This tracks medial to the infraorbital nerve. It begins at the filtral columns and courses laterally to the alar margin. It can affect the medial lid and disrupt the nasolacrimal duct, resulting in epiphora. This was another question on one of our exams. Cleft five involves the oral and cheek maxillary sinus, as well as the orbit. This is the rarest of the Tessier clefts. It is lateral to the inferorbital nerve. All right, moving on to the lateral clefts. You can tell this trips everybody up in plastic uh. surgery. Cleft six. This involves the lower lateral orbit and is associated with colobomas. Okay, cleft seven, also known as hemifacial microsomia, is the most common of all clefts higher in males and involves the disruption of the stapedial artery, zygoma, maxilla, the mandible is affected and these patients can have paresis of cranial nerves five and seven. This begins at the oral commissure, which can be noted to be macrostomia, extends towards the ear and runs through the maxillary second molar, stopping at the masseture. This can be a skin tag or a microtic ear. The maxilla, ramus, zygomatic body, cranial base can be noted through an open bite. This is likely from the mandibular and maxillary processes not fusing. The zygomaticotemporal suture is at the center. Lateral facial clefts include seven through nine, as well as hemifacial microsomia. Cleft eight always involves the orbit. This is rare. This is associated with golden heart. This is typically associated with other syndromes. And patients can also have colobomas, and the zygoma can be hypoplastic. Lastly, cleft nine. This is associated with encephalocele. This is rare. The it involves the lateral third of the lid and brow 
it can involve cranial nerve seven to the forehead and upper eyelid, and as well as a hypoplastic sphenoid and can be an extension of facial cleft five. All right, Rachel, take it away. All right, that was a lot. Sorry about that, Lil. So I get some easier stuff. Remember when you're trying to distinguish the difference between the marginal mandibular nerve versus cervical branch of the facial nerve. So both impair lower lip depression, causing decreased lower tooth show on smile. However, the marginal mandibular will affect lip eversion and pouting. So full dentured smile and pout. Ear anomalies. So cryptosha, this is a deformity of the ear in which the superior helical rim is buried beneath the skin of the scalp. And this is treated with elevation and skin grafting. Lop ear is an ear that is constricted, has overhanging or hooding of the superior helical rim. And remember, stall ear has a third cruise. Cranioplasty. So any calvarial defect greater than six centimeters should be reconstructed. Titanium will make surveillance of post-op cancerous lesions difficult. So peak will be your choice here because it is radiolucent. Remember that BMT2 or bone morphogenic protein 2 is contraindicated in cases of malignancy due to the risk of tumorigenesis. And calcium phosphate is generally only used for small defects. The lateral incisor is the most prone to being affected in the area of the cleft. So this is frequently missing or delayed, like Lily talked about earlier. Congenital epulis, which I have never heard of. I don't even know if I said it right. This is a rare benign tumor of the oral cavity that is found in newborns. It is considered a granular cell tumor that may lead to mechanical obstruction, resulting in airway difficulty eating or respiratory distress. So remember, we saw a patient with a tumor on the tongue a tiny little neonate that is congenital epulis, epulis, however you want to say it. Ear reconstruction the, is the most common complication after porous polyethylene microtial reconstruction is exposure of the implant. Duh. Nasal reconstruction. Think about the layers that need reconstruction. So if it's composite, cartilage only, et cetera. Composite grafts are most successful when they're under one centimeters. And a good donor site for ailer rim and soft triangle includes the full thickness helical root composite graft with cartilage limb extensions. That was our question and answer. Head and neck reconstruction. So venous couplers significantly decrease complication rates over hand-sewn anastomoses. Increased risk of failure with muscle-only flaps over fasciocutaneous or osteocutaneous flaps are also seen in head and neck reconstruction. And there was no difference in viability in supercharging, multiple perforator choice, or orientation of anastomosis. Rabies vaccine, there's lots of this. Unknown status should receive human rabies IG if the vaccination of the dog cannot be confirmed. So this is injected into the wound as well as a routine vaccination and should be ideally given on the same day as the bite. Okay, Lils. All right. Up. So the lacrimal apparatus, the initial management of lacrimal disruption includes placement of a stent through the canaliculi into the lacrimal duct and into the nose. The exit point is the valve of Hastner. This is below the inferior turbinate. Frontal, maxillary, and anterior ethmoid sinus cells drain into the middle meatus just below the middle turbinate. Ludwig angina. This presents with drooling, protruding tongue, and a woody edema of the submandibular region. This is, the deep, this is a deep space infection of the floor of the mouth. The source is periapical abscesses, typically molar in origin. Treatment is admission to the intensive care unit, antibiotic, surgical drainage, and being conscious of the patient's airway. Facial nerve lacerations. These should follow peripheral nerve principles. The outcomes are optimal if repairs performed within six months of injury. 12 months is the maximum delay where functional recovery would be expected. In orbital box osteotomy, this is performed um, using the following landmarks. An inferior orbital fissure serves as the starting point and ending point for the orbital box osteotomy since only temporal fat is within this fissure. Facial compartments, masseteric or submasseteric space, which is bordered by the master muscle and the ascending ramus of the mandible below the arch, the pterygomandibular space formed by the medial pterygoid muscle and ascending ramus. 
the superficial temporal space formed by the temporalis fascia and temporalis muscle above the arch, and the deep temporal space is formed by the temporalis muscle and calvarium. An AMT flap, this is a bailout option when an ALT does not have adequate perforators, which happens in approximately 5% of patients. The AMT perforators between the rectus femoris and the vastus medialis and arises off of the descending branch of the lateral circumflex artery. Some can arise immediately off of the SFA. A segmental mandibulectomy, the full portion of the mandible is taken, and this is performed where there is cortical invasion of a squamous cell carcinoma. A marginal mandibulectomy may be performed when cancer does not invade cortical bone, but just abuts the bone. Comparing a jejunal flap to an ALT for laryngopharyngeal defects, both have been used to restore continuity of the hypopharynx and cervical esophagus following laryngopharyngectomy. The jejunal flap has become less popular due to the ALT's um, increasing use and the ALT's lower donor site morbidity, higher rate of feeding tube independence, and equivalent flap loss rates. Voice production with TEP is considered superior. Jejunal flap benefits include a more straightforward inset and fistula rates are higher for an ALT flap. Some mucus cleft palate includes bifid uvula, a notch of the hard palate, and a zona pellucida. Only a small number of these patients will ultimately need surgery. So if a child is developing appropriately, you can wait until at least two and a half years to evaluate when you're able to evaluate those, their speech. And the main reason to recommend an intervention such as a VPI procedure in these patients is for hypernasal speech. All right. So moving on, continuing with VPI, in a 17-year-old, which was our specific question, the normal soft palatal length is 32 millimeters and normal nasopharyngeal depth is 24 millimeters. I don't know how we're going to remember that. A gap of five millimeters cannot be adequately corrected with a furlough palatoplasty or sphincto-pharyngeoplasty. So any gra gap greater than five millimeters is an indication for a P-flap, and that was the question. So big gap, P-flap. Pleomorphic adenoma, this typically occurs in the parotid gland, as you know, benign lesions have a recurrence rate of six to 15%. And so the answer on our test was 10%. Rich or rapid involuting congenital hemangioma. This is a large and fast flow. It can cause high output cardiac failure. Um, the picture remember showed a large hemangioma or vascular malformation on the neck. So the x-ray and MRI was completed with the lesion highlighted, and you should work up with an echocardiogram to evaluate if the patient needs cardiac support. So that was the next step. Dermoid cysts. These are soft, fixed, and typically in the lateral brow, slow growing. This is the most common lateral brow mass. Otoplasty. So mustarde suture. This is a non-absorbable suture placed over a weakened cartilage structure to create an antihelical crease. For, so antihelical crease, mustarde suture. Sternstrom scratches the posterior cartilage to weaken the memory. A furnace suture is a conchal setback suture to rotate the ear and decrease the angle between the concha and the mastoid, which is typically about 20 to 35 degrees. Mandibular reconstruction. So a fibular, fibular flap is appropriate, especially for large segmental reconstruction. So ramus to ramus. Other options for smaller defects include scapular osteocutaneous radial form. Lingual nerve. So this was a tricky one. It was talking about uh, operating on the mandible. So this requires protection of the lingual border of the mandible during wisdom teeth removal. So remember the inferior alveolar begins at the end of the angle of the mandible and anything higher than that, like in your third molar removal, the lingual nerve is what it, what's at risk, not the inferior alveolar nerve. Oropharyngeal cancer staging. So oropharyngeal cancers can affect the base of the tongue, soft palate, tonsils, and posterior pharyngeal wall. And remember that staging requires P16 or HPV status because this will downstage the tumor. Mandibular advancement and genioplasty. So what does this do? This creates a deeper labiomental crease 
as cervical mental angle becomes more acute and the glossopharyngeal opening enlarges due to movement of the tongue. Votu cleft palate, 5% risk of palatal fistula after furrow repair. Just remember that. Cleft lip and palate repair. So remember that the lip is at between three and six months and the palate between nine and 18 months and combination surgery can be performed in older children who are healthy enough. So non-syndromic, hemoglobin greater than 10, well-nourished and young age. So remember elderly patients are not likely to benefit from cleft palate surgery at their age. All right, that is all the craniofacial that I can take. Thank you for joining in and tune in next time for our breast and cosmetic. Thanks, Rachel. We would like to thank Allergan for their continued support of our podcast. Allergan Aesthetics is now part of AbbVie, an international leader in many different therapeutic categories. Many of our topics and therapies we discuss on our podcast are provided by Allergan. They continue to be a leader in the fields of breast reconstruction, abdominal wall reconstruction, medical aesthetics, and much more. Additionally, they are dedicated to supporting the education of plastic surgery residents and plastic surgeons across the country.